There's questions that uh, often come up in retreats, particularly the end of a retreat. We're just finishing the end of a short retreat here. Is you know how do you you do this kind of very meditation, sitting in silence and kind of quiet, and people not talking, and bells ringing, and sitting there for hours. And how do you can, how do you integrate that into daily life when you kind of stuff's coming from all different directions and. Uh, it's kind of multi-dimensional. Things aren't kind of neatly happening one moment at a time. It's suddenly all kind of tolerance of things and uh, random things happening and things going wrong. And you know, uh, how can you be? How can you be mindful? How can you practice like that in that situation? How do you integrate into daily life? Question is kind of. Uh, by itself, it's a little bit uh, wrong view, really, because actually, really, the question is how do you integrate this into daily death? <laughs> then it makes sense. Yeah. yeah it's. Uh, Every moment something is passing away, every moment something is coming to being, something that's bound to break up. Even birth, in a way, is death. It's the beginning of something that can only, must, must end, come to the ending. Yeah. Every uh, meeting is the beginning of the next departure isn't it you know we're born into a realm the only one of the things that we are certain about and is conditioned you know manifest plane is that absolute rock solid certain is that we're going to die it's more certain that we'll die than that we'll be born you know sometimes people you know don't necessarily birth isn't isn't always guaranteed but death is So when you kind of start to consider it like that, and see your thoughts kind of falling away, and the expectations we have not quite making it, and the yeah, and all the time it's incredible push to solidify and and steady and you know, which of course is part of the paradox in a way. You you start to when you meditate, you do this practice of steadying and building up, you know building up one set of things, you know, mindfulness and breathing in and out and calm and gentleness and so forth, building up in order to 
let go of others, to see just how ephemeral that tissue of one's apparent life is. You see it kind of just bubbling up, the issues and the thoughts and the scenarios and the past and the future and the hopes of what one should be and one's opinions about Dhamma and about people. It's just kind of bleh. You know, the things we can really want to find ground in and it's all just ever-changing. Ever and something else really wants to find something to get stuck into and hold on to. You know, so you can find yourself in meditation just hours just building up a plan of what you're going to do in the next week or the next day or the next month or the thing you're going to buy if you're a lay person or a, the meal you're going to eat. I remember when we, I was on pilgrimage with Nick Scott in India, you know, for six, six months, pretty rough times living on, trying to live on alms food in India. And he said he spent a huge amount of time just fantasizing about, he figured out that on the plane back from India to Heathrow, we'd be flying in such a way that the time of eating between dawn and it would be really long because we are flying into the, into the sun. We are flying into the day, you know. So he thought, wow, on the plane ride back from India, I can eat for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> he was fantasizing about this airline meal for six months. <laughs> so it helped, you know, just building up this kind of sense of what could be. And of course, you know, he got on this airplane and, uh, and they, they gave, the, the early hostess came around and gave him some food and he ate all that. He asked for second help and she gave him that, he ate all that. <laughs> And then he started noticing people were leaving their food, so he went around eating other people's leftovers. <laughs> and then he started asking for bags of crisps and things like any odd snacks. And this poor airline host is kind of, you know, little Indian woman with this great kind of red-bearded guy looming over <laughs> food. <laughs> and he ate so much. <laughs> Stuffed, sick, you know. But you can see how the, you know, this is a simple example, just how even you get it, it isn't what, really what you wanted. It was the sense of there being something you could get hold of. And sometimes, you know, we build up nightmares, you know, dread and fear. So, you know, it's that sense of, because without, without that sense of something solid, you know, we start to feel that the really, really what kind of death is about. It's a sense of not, not having that ground, that future, having no future, having no result, having no prize, having no home, having no, you know, thing that we got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, all of our life is about doing that, isn't it? A lot of the time, and yet you see, where does it go? Just busyness and accumulations and disappointments, and the next thing, and you know, whole life building up, and then one day, bump, you know, 
heart attack, or you've got some kind of lingering disease that wipes you out, or the economy crashes or something like that. So it's really everyday death we have to to integrate with. And meditation fits that very well. Because uh, is this sense of really with right view you see the inconstancy, the breaking up, the impermanence of everything you can think, see, touch, taste, and you start to see this kind of dreadful or this terrific craving for solidity and selfhood and permanence and things to be right. And you can see the effect it has. You know, one's life becomes contracted, heart becomes tight. There's no no joy in it, there's no leap left, there's no spring. It's all just kind of management. You know? Managing the disaster. So it's also we start to, you know, Tanutro essentially this morning what it was like in, in, in Japan. You know, you know, these earthquakes and the buildings are built to just sway with the earthquake. So when, the, when it's, there's big earthquakes in Tokyo or whatever, the whole building just swings over the, over the street, you know, like a banana, waving around. And, you know, people are not used to completely panic because, you know, where's the solid ground in an earthquake? You want to run away, but there's nowhere to run to. <laughs> you can't run into the sky. So you're on this ground which is throwing itself up and down. You know, the, the very structures that you build. And he said, well, you know, actually the people who live there just get, just basically notice the building swaying and wedge a door open so if the building twists, you can still open the door, get back to work. <laughs> just let it, let it do its thing. You know, when the earth is swaying, what do you do? You find your own centre in it. You let it, you let it, you let it sway. You let it rock around. You don't try and hold it down. And you can see how actually st- things like trees, you know, you know, that, that sense of being able to just bend and be blown, is actually makes them a lot more uh, strong than things that are, that are brittle. You know, if you have a building that can't sway in an earthquake, it just falls apart. You build them so they can actually bend and flex. And then, you know, that's what you can do. You learn how to bend and flex. And we're living, you know, what we're living in actually is our life is like an earthquake. You know, things are continually heaving up. And, you know, never really stable, never really static, never really settled. And, you know, we complain like crazy, but it's not settled enough yet. You know, when I started being in these monasteries, building them over 30 odd years, you always get this feeling of, you know, you start the place, it's really rough, dilapidated, grubby, cold, and one day it will be all, boom, settled, and that would be it when we began to enter the real practice. (laughs) You know, of course, the things change. From the kind of, you know, physical grubbiness to management crisis to you know financial dilemmas to 
you know, these things on the other. But basically, it's just the, it's the same earthquake, the same rolling, you know, of it all. So you just learn to kind of die into it. That's what you learn. You learn a thing that you can't learn. You have to have it kind of, you have to have certain things shaken out, really. This holding, this contraction, this fearfulness, this, you know, need for security. And yeah, you know, that's one side of it. The other side of it is you have a strong security, which is your ethics, ethical sense, conscience, breathing in, breathing out. Nothing's going to take, need take that away from you. And stay with that. Rest of it has to fly around. The Buddha said, you know, all is burning. The eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind are all on fire. Where are you going to go? Where's the cool place? Where's the, you know, the ear, the eye, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind are burning. So where's the cool place? Nibbana, the cool place, where's that? So as you know, it's just like the less, you, the more you eventually you get this sense of real giving up about it all. Mind objects, mind states, even the bright ones. You just you feel that kind of where you want to bed down into it. So what we're you know, really aiming for is not so much a state. Nibbana is not a state. As, as a view. Not so much a state, but as a view. A view that thoughts, feelings, energies, sensations, perceptions, impressions, all that consciousness every state of consciousness is enough is not worth found establishing oneself upon it's uh, changeable inconstant and also you don't need to that's the bit that's the tricky bit you know because uh, it's only when you know sometimes when you actually get thrown out of control that you begin to sense something you don't something doesn't break something doesn't fall as long as you stay within that you know you don't get it but it's often that either you you find a way of leaping or sometimes it's getting thrown you know out of out of the holding why what renunciation and going forth is about going forth uh, you know the, the, the lifestyle the Buddha took up and after he was enlightened he, he continued with it he didn't sort of you know set up a, some 50 million pound meditation center with air conditioning so that people could practice in peace 
<laughs> you know, he just kind of kept it and encouraged other people to do the same sort of thing, just to go into insecurity. So this because in a way, you know, meditation doesn't sit in a vacuum. It sits inside a larger reference and you know, and the internal reference is conscience and concern, ethical sense. Mindfulness, you know, the external reference is insecurity. One of the most powerful things that people resist. That nerve ending. Very difficult for any sentient creature to really come up against insecurity. You know, for other, most animals it's just basically whether they're going to get eaten or not, get food or not. For us, it's very complex. You know, psychological insecurity, the need to, you know, because we have these tremendous minds that generate futures, uh, past, present, other people, oneself, oneself image. You know, what will I be like? Is this going to work for me? Am I okay? You know, make a fool of myself, you know, mess up with it end up just some old bum, you know, chucked out, <coughs> close the monastery down, so you, you know, you're 50, 60 years old, they just chuck you out. <laughs> Sorry, you know, no, no funds anymore. But then you, you go into that, because of that, you actually want to have that feeling of it, because it sharpens, it, it invigorates gives you a certain carefree quality, a certain what the hell about to it. It's that throwaway quality. So, you know, the Buddha is talk this qualities of, of uh, as you develop insight on a kind of more you know internal level. Uh, sense of Attachment or withdrawal, maybe stepping back from engagement, dispassion, letting things, seeing the, the fading, the, the un, inconstant nature of things, you become less, you know, psyched up about it all, mind going crazy. Yeah. Cessation, something can stop. Most important things to stop are the these uh, tremendous energies we have to fear and, and desperation and trying to hold it all together, aversion to oneself. You know, these things that you can feel the kind of contractions in the heart. You know, what doubt, worry. It has various names and forms. But it always feels like something like this holding, clinging, holding oneself, being held. Whatever the mind state is, we feel somehow held by it, gripped by it. Yeah. So you want to be held by a nice one, not an ugly one. 
you know, they're just kind of swapping one, one, one uh, controller for another one. So the longer we feel we have to have, you know, pleasant, happy mind states, there's some imperative, otherwise things are going wrong. You know, where does that leave you? You see them as they are. Throw it away. That kind of clinging and reaching out. It's a life of, uh, you know, with this life, if, you, if you've got to succeed with it, if you've got to succeed in the practice, then best not start, really. <laughs> you've got to be guaranteed, you know, let's not start, don't bother. You know, this is, uh, get caught in that one, make your life miserable. Like the first thing you, uh, you learn if you're in any kind of uh, real skill, there's art, painting, any real craft or skills, you learn how to make a mistake. You learn how to not care about it. If you're an acrobat, you learn, the first thing you learn is how to fall. Yeah. If you're a painter, the first thing you learn is how to kind of just, just let your hands scrawl over it without making you a know, perfect old master fantastic reproduction, just scrawl. That's the first thing you learn, just loosen up. No, it's that particular kind of view behind it all. What are we trying to do? But learning how to die. Because then if you learn it right, then the heart is freed. from death and from birth. And actually, though most of us fear death, birth is the thing you should really fear. You know, if you want to be free from death, but learn to be free from birth, then the rest of it takes care of itself. Birth into this, into that, to being one of these, one of those, and, you know, So along with the, the paradoxes, along with that's that's the view. You know, why sometimes the Buddha's teaching can seem pretty stark and bleak. He doesn't pull his punches. And yet there's also paradoxically the sense of, yeah, well take care, you know, really be be careful, be be aware, develop, build up, build up and throw away, build up and throw away. So you just keep building up and, and skimming off the holding, you know, and it, you know. So you do, like every moment you just burn out, you just let it 
you bring yourself into fullness with it and let it go. And yet you keep, you keep breathing in the next breath. Let it go. Breathing in, let it go. It doesn't have to be the best. Breathe in, breathe it out. Because life is that. It is in breath, out breath. We don't just breathe out or breathe in. You learn breathing in and then breathing out. And that's how you practice. You practice like that. Just bringing it up, pulling it together, letting it go. Pulling it together, letting it go. Till you're not caught in that cycle. You, you, you see every beginning is the, sa- is, is the ending of something else. You know, it's just that. I mean, that's why the realization of the stream entry is everything that's arising is ceasing. It's the same characteristic. You know, it's just like, you know, watching the waves of the sea, just as, as they're, even as they're, everything arising is the ceasing of something. It's kind of continually in flow. So you practice like that. Don't hang on to the last moment. Don't predict the next moment. Let it be very edge. Yeah. And that's that's. Uh, then there's no no nothing to retain. You know. So when we live our lives, it's like you know you walk out there that you just don't know. But with build building up. Both the the groundedness, the inner center, the strengthening, the sense of witnessing, the sense of non-involvement, the sense of being able to bear with, be with <coughs> conditions as they come and go, and you take it out on the street and see what happens to it. Learn how to roll, learn how to start again. It's a life of that. So I find that when I, you know, was practicing, I get quite whingy. <laughs> you know, not enough of the winning, there's a you know, kind of moaning and whinging in my mind. And, uh, you know, fed up, bored, fed up, bored, same old thing every day, same old talks, same old teachings. Same old stuff, same old people, same old porridge every day, fed up, bored. <laughs> you know, it's so grey and bleak. Everybody's walking around looking so grey and bleak. And the porridge is grey and bleak. <laughs> and I'm grey and bleak. I wake up every morning grey and bleak. I want to live. <laughs> I wake up and listen to this thing just going off in my brain. The first moment I wake up, negativity. Yeah. Yeah. I found the most interesting just actually, instead of trying to kind of calm it down or sort of, well, look on the bright side. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah. just get up, straight up, walk into a cold shower, you know, watch my mind explode, you know. Well, what happened to all that, you know? What happened to that? Well, I don't think it's a very interesting answer. You know, you just develop your own, your own virya, your own energy on that. It's quite interesting. <laughs> That's what the kind of um, way of, of, of practice has these kind of bits where you deliberately 
you know, take chance, step over the edge, push yourself, you know, things like that. I don't want to kill you. Just kills the mind, that's all. <laughs> and then you find something else. There's something outside of that. The spirit, you know, you know so it's a real uh, laughter, spirit in life. This life is a life of you know the the tudong you know wandering, and um, they used to. I mean, when we had this Thai master Ajahn Jun, who was a disciple of Ajahn Charles, he said the tudong you know, when they started tudong, you just didn't. There was no maps. There's no, you know, you just basically walk into the jungle, and they didn't even have a flashlight. You just walk, walk into the Jungle, just chanting the Metta Sutra. <laughs> that, that was that was it. That was your map. <laughs> uh, just keep going, you know, and be lucky that you didn't get eaten by a cobra or a python <coughs> or a pit or something. And you can actually sense when you do that. There's a real something big comes up in you. A real sense of of uh, wow, you know, something bigger than my mind happens. I was on. Uh, Tudong in Thailand years ago, and and uh, honestly, I probably had several interesting experiences where the mind just kind of basically blew up. You know, one was nearly getting eaten by a tiger. One was always just walking along, and my feet were so blistered, every toe was bandaged up so that the foot was, you know, huge because it was just so stuffed with bandages. All the toes were all blistered and walking along this, through this forest path kind of thing. Oh, why did we have to walk so far? My feet hurt. You know, you know, the monk I was with, Ajahn Gwesiko, he didn't have any blisters on his feet. He knew where he was going. He was, so he was fine. The Thai novice, he was fine. They're walking along, striding along, and I'm kind of hobbling along with my blistered feet, getting further and further behind. Think, oh, I go so fast, why they wait for me? <laughs> and then I kind of went round, uh, sort of walked around a corner in this path, and there's stands of bamboo, struggling for this bamboo. And I, I couldn't see them anymore. I looked, looked, walked up the path, couldn't see them this way, that way. They weren't anywhere. I realized, hey. Here I am, I don't know where I am, somewhere in a jungle in Thailand, <laughs> blistered feet and an arms pole. <laughs> I don't know where I'm supposed to be going, anything. I just felt so joyful. <laughs> a feeling of, you know, there's no way you could figure, know what to do, nowhere to go. I really felt this kind of relief. I'm having to, you know, my mind stopped complaining. I thought, well, here I am. 
Yeah, got this moment. Yep. Yes, this looks, just walk this way. Why not? This is good as anywhere. <laughs> so I just wandered off and uh, slipped over the edge of a, of a cliff somewhere where I just you know, managed to hang onto some roots on the way down and pull myself up. That was fun too. Did, forgot about my blistered feet then. <laughs> I dragged myself up was over the top of this um, dry um, cliff area, walking on it. Trolling on it, and I saw way off in the distance these little huts. Oh, huts, humans. I'll go that way. You know, ended up walked into this monastery. You know, it was a little, a little forest monastery. Walked into this place, kind of sort of covered in blood and dirt. And here I am. <laughs> and of course, there's, monks, there's about six monks there. They didn't speak any English, I didn't speak any Thai. And they, we were kind of jabbering away at each other for a while. Oh, this is fine too, you know. It's because I can't do anything about this. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. I can't look good. I can't communicate. I can't explain what I'm doing. Just give up, you know. And uh, so there I was. And about, interesting enough, about an hour or two later, Adrian Guesico, who'd been looking for me all over this mountain, turned up. <laughs> so I'd actually got there before him. <laughs> Listed feet and all. <laughs> so sometimes that's the quickest way to go, is get lost. You know, just follow your nose. Uh, but that isn't really the point. The point is just that sense of the, the, the joy, the freedom from the known, freedom from certainty, which isn't there anyway. Freedom from the myth of certainty and getting it right, and having it worked out, and getting to the place you want to go to. That's the freedom of... Uh, Gone forth. That's the freedom of the mind blowing out. And that's how you cultivate. That's what you bear in mind. The Buddha said, uh, You bear in mind Nibbana, the thought of Nibbana, like an assassin. Something just every time you, you want to build something, which just blow it out, blow it out, blow it out, mm. and then there's you know, there's nothing to uh, to lose. It sounds crazy, but there is a relief, a release from the conditioned, from the compounded, the constructed, from the fabricated from the need to fabricate, from the need to keep it all. There is a relief, a release from that. This is, you know, that's our faith. Our efforts towards that, our strengthening ourselves to prepare for the leap and don't miss the opportunity to leap. <laughs> 